Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week, I'll be looking at the future for travel agents following the surprise announcement on Tuesday that Joe Walsh Tours, one of the biggest and best-known operators in the market, has ceased trading. Connor Pope of the Irish Times and Pat Dawson of the Irish Travel Agents Association will join me for that conversation. In the second part of the show, I'll be speaking with consumer finance advocate Brendan Burgess about the imminent exits of Ulster Bank and KBC from the Irish market. What will that mean for competition in Irish banking and for mortgage interest rates? But first to the sad news that Joe Walsh Tours has ceased trading. Founded in 1961 and family-owned, it was one of the first travel agents in the country, transporting generations of Irish holidaymakers to the sun and also running popular pilgrimages and trips to various sporting events. The company blamed the decision on the government's COVID-19 travel restrictions and problems in agreeing a payout with its insurer for business interruption cover. Connor Pope of the Irish Times and Pat Dawson, Chief Executive of the Irish Travel Agents Association, join me on the line now. Connor Pope, thank you for joining Inside Business. JWT, one of the longest established and best known travel agents and tour operators in the Irish market. And it came as quite a shock and quite a surprise to a lot of people to hear yesterday that it was going to cease trading. What's behind that? What are the reasons for this? Well, I suppose, Kieran, the big shock is that it came as such a surprise because the reality is that the travel industry in Ireland has been one of the hardest hit industries uh, during the course of the pandemic. Um, It has virtually uh, ceased trading for the last 14 or 15 months. But unlike the the hospitality sector, which could effectively mothball its industry, staff within the travel industry had to keep working because they had to keep processing refunds and they had to keep looking after their customers and their clients. But not only did they cease trading in March of last year, a lot of them would have had to return the money that they had already taken in for bookings. And you don't, you, you didn't see that in the hospitality sector, you didn't see that in the pub trade or, or, or across the board. So the industry has been incredibly badly hit. And that's what's behind the closure. Because, um, and the surprise is that JWT is not the first, but, you know, one of a small number of tour operators and travel agents that have gone out of business in Ireland over the course of the last 14 months. Um, There will probably be more because the reality is that the industry will take a long time to recover from the shocks that it has endured over the last 14 months. So what JWT announced yesterday was they were seizing trading and they effectively said they hadn't been trading since March of 2020. Um, And they put the blame squarely on the travel restrictions that are in place in Ireland, which they, they, they described rightly, I would argue, as amongst the most severe in the European Union. Um, and almost all of their business for 2020 was gone. And they, couldn't, they wouldn't really have had a lot of prospects for business in 2021. So they would have been looking into 2022 before they could make any kind of money again. And the directors just took the decision to say enough is enough. And one of the, the things about JWT perhaps that is unique to them or certainly they, they would put them in a, in a different position to a lot of the other tour operators is their pilgrimage business. One of the things that uh, they've become very well known for in the last 10, 15, 20 years would be t- taking people to pilgrimage sites uh, around Europe. And of course that business is completely gone and it will be gone for a long time to come. Uh, and I think an awful lot of people will have reacted with surprise, as you say, and shock and a degree of sadness because they really were one of the 
original tour operators in this country. And I'm sure lots of your listeners will have booked holidays with them at one point or other. In fact, the very first holiday I ever booked, the very first foreign holiday I ever booked in the mid-1990s was with JWT because they were one of the only players in the market at that time. Um, So it's sad to see them go. It is a shock, but it's not really that much of a surprise. Pat Dawson of the ITAA, were you shocked when you heard the news? Not really. I think Connor has has has, has, has said everything about it. Uh, I wasn't really, and I, I'm a I'm a past product of JWT because I worked for JWT for for twenty odd years uh, in in the days that Connor was talking about. And and uh, as I said, I mean uh, we had operations and it was done manually operations not alone in Dublin, Cork, Shannon, but Belfast, Manchester, uh, and uh, Glasgow. As such, um, and they they were they were in the package holiday business, but uh, maybe ten or fifteen years ago, they they offloaded that that business to um, to Falcon. Uh, uh, I think it's maybe fifteen years ago, um, but then the, the and it was the first department I worked in was the the religious department, uh, Lords as as it was at the time, and, and certainly. Uh, up to up to last year, whatever else they were carrying, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand people. They bought over car, Cara, and they bought over GLA travel. They they were all smaller players in in that religious game, and not an old Lourdes, Magigori, Roman, and stuff. They were huge players, but joined the JWT set. I mean, everyone was waiting for the brochure to come out. Uh, uh, Joe would have uh, Joe Watch Tours would have preceded Gillian Bowler, who certainly you know played a huge pay after that and more modernised and and that. But um, it 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 doesn't really surprise me because of the fact that the the uh, the, the help that that governments are giving is it's running out of road at the moment. And we have been ongoing meetings uh, with with ministers and with departments. In fact, we have a meeting this coming Friday with the Department of Transport. Uh, uh, to emphasize again that the the, the assistance we are getting, uh, I mean, they will have to be continued until 2022. Because if you remember, a, a travel agent only receives their commission uh, when the holiday maker pays in full, and that's usually six or eight weeks pre-departure. So the main amount of commission would come into a travel agency uh, April stroke May as such. So uh, we have no uh, we have no income. And Connor has uh, exactly explained that we're working all the time. We had to transfer 400,000 people from last year to this year. And, and now it looks like that we'll have to transfer th- those 400,000 people and to deal with all the refunds and all that stuff that's going on, which is almost nearly over. Uh, and uh, staff are working three days, two day weeks or whatever else. And we have also too lost maybe 30 to 35 percent of our staff throughout the country because they've got other jobs that, that are steady and, and they'll have income, uh, guaranteed income going forward. Pat, what's your expectation for travel, overseas travel for people out of Ireland, even into Ireland for the remainder of this year? Well, it's all vaccinated related. It's all the, the green certificate related within the EU, which they're voting on today, which will be passed. Uh, they have to they have to synchronise that. But my guess is it, it will start back end of August, September. I would visualise certainly the I expect air, aircraft in, in in the sky 
coming in and coming uh, out of Ireland. But then again, we have to match up with other countries. The EU idea is a good idea. We have to match up with the United States as well, because that is a big market, uh, both inbound and outbound. Uh, and providing the vaccinations go according to plan. I mean, if you're listening to the, to the Minister for Health last night, he's going to ratchet up to 240,000 a month or a week, I think he said. Uh, you know, they're not doing 170,000 at the moment, but we'll wait and see. Vaccinations is a key to everything. But uh, September, I would pick as a start-up month. Airlines really have to be getting ready now and they have to get the, that pathway through of when they're going to start because it's not like turning on an oven as such. Um, and they have to get their pilots retrained and all that kind of stuff. And that's a big, big job as well. I know they're working on simulators, uh, uh, Aer Lingus in particular, but September, I visualise some travel will start. And Pat, the passport office, I think, is closed at the minute. And a lot of people who probably have passports that are due to expire, or maybe they have expired, or they're getting first passports. What do they do? How do, how do they go about travelling? Yeah, and um, we put out press release two weeks ago. We wrote uh, to Foreign Affairs about that. It is absolutely ridiculous situation. Uh, it's down on level three or five, I think, is where they've closed it. Uh, I mean... This is an essential service as such to the people. And the latest figure uh, up up to uh, up to two days ago, Kieran, was 93,000 passports waiting to be authorised and sent out to people. You can get emergency passport in the event of a death or something seriously like that. But it is a disgrace that it's not down as, as, as an essential service. Conor Pope, I suppose there's been perhaps a, a slow demise of the travel agency and tour operator business since uh, the advent of the internet and people being able to book directly with Ryanair or Aer Lingus their flights and uh, accommodation with Airbnb or uh, directly with a hotel. Is this a trend that's going to continue? Funnily enough, I think it actually might reverse a little bit because one of the things that the pandemic has shown is how much people are on their own when they book the DIY holiday. Because if you book with an airline and then you book with an accommodation provider and you, and you book all the different strands of your holiday independently, if something goes wrong, it's much harder to get redress than if you book with a tour operator or a travel agent. And if you'd asked me this question five years ago, I would have said, ah, that's it, the travel agents are doomed. Sure, why would you be going with a travel agent? But the reality is now that you do get that degree of security. And in fact, that was made manifestly clear yesterday when JWT announced their closure because the Commission for Aviation Regulation was very quick to issue a release reminding people of all of the different avenues they can travel down to get refunds, or to get redress for bookings made. It's very different if you do it independently. But there's another point that's probably worth making, and, and that's the fact that we have this idea in our head that the DIY option is always the cheapest option when it comes to booking a holiday. And that idea has been kind of grown in our minds by Ryanair and the cheap flights and all of the rest. But, you know, when, when you add in all the add-ons and the transfers and the cost of the hotel it oftentimes works out that a tour operator or a travel agent is, if not cheaper, but at least roughly speaking, the same price as going it alone. And that's not me saying this, but that's the British Consumer Watchdog, which, which has carried out repeated surveys on pricing uh, when it comes to tour operators versus the independent model. And another thing that I think has become really clear in the last 12 months is that if you book with one of the giant uh, booking engines, like the booking.com or lastminute.com or all of those places, when something goes wrong, it's almost impossible to get them on the end of the phone. 
It's almost impossible to get a human being to address your problems. And that has been a source of immeasurable frustration amongst people who've contacted me through the Price Watch page in the Irish Times and people who have been speaking about this. So by, in a weird way, the pandemic might actually lead to a bounce in business for travel agents. But they will have to change with the times. You know, the days of walking into a, into a, into a high street shop and standing in front of the counter and talking to a tour operator, they're gone. So, you know, the, 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 the local independent travel agents have recognised that and they are going to have to move into an online world and they are going to have to compete in the space that Ryanair and Booking.com and Last Minute and Airbnb, as you say, are competing in. Um, now, that's not to say that the likes of Airbnb are, are, are done and dusted because they still have a huge role to play when it comes to tourism. And in fact, they offer a, a, a product that the tour operators just can't offer. They offer, you know, the chance to live within communities in particular towns or regions. Um, and, th- and, and that's really attractive to people. In the case of JWT, will all of the customers who had bookings with the agency, will they get a refund? Yes. And one of the good things, if you could use the word good in these circumstances, is that in, in, a, nor- in a normal world, if a tour operator or a travel agent went out of business at the end of April or in the middle of May or whenever it was, it would be an absolute nightmare because not only would you have people who'd booked holidays wanting their money back, you'd also have people who were actually stranded overseas who couldn't get home. But the reality is there's nobody who would have booked with JWT currently overseas. So that problem is gone. And, you know, the Commission for Aviation Regulation has made it very clear that, you know, people who booked packages with JWT can get refunds. But also the people who booked packages with JWT last year and then exchanged those bookings for vouchers uh, under that system that was rolled out by the government last year, they're also going to get their money back. So there might be some people who would have booked an element of a holiday with JWT who will have difficulties. But then again, they will also have the option of going to their credit card company or their bank and asking for a chargeback uh, on, on, the, on the monies they've paid. So I would be surprised if there was many, indeed, if there was any people who will be left out of pocket as a result of that. And that's the other key thing, uh, Kieran, because the tour operators and travel agents, to operate in the state, they have to be fully bonded. So an airline can just shut. And if you've booked uh, flights with that airline, you're kind of on your own. But with a tour operator or a travel agent, and I know I'm sounding like a, 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 a champion of these people, and I'm not really, because I understand they're, they're, they, they have merits and they have, there's disadvantages. But the reality is because they're fully bonded, people's money is protected. And that's really important at a time like this. Pat Dawson, uh, in the statement that JWT released yesterday, they cited business uh, interruption insurance as one of the obstacles for them staying open. Um, that they weren't able to reach a settlement with their insurer on a on a refund. Has that been a problem across the industry? Because we've certainly seen with pubs, there have been some high-profile court cases. Just wondering what the situation is in your industry and whether any of your members are similarly looking at legal action. Yeah, it's very, very same as the pubs. In fact, um, we, we had a sort of a group scheme going uh, within the, uh, the Irish Travel Agents Association and we had about 30 people involved in it. And uh, the, the, the insurance was taken out and has been taken out for many, many years. 
and uh, claims have been sent in. They've been fobbed off. Uh, we 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 got uh, uh, barrister's advice then on on the on the on the small print. Uh, so we have a, a leading barrister now who has to take on uh, this particular insurance company. They're putting everything here in your way not to pay out. And of course, you know that, that is a, an insurance thing anyway. Uh, be it travel insurance or or be it interruption of business or whatever else. Yes, it's the same as the pubs. Uh, we're battling with them uh, as such. Uh, and you know, I mean, in fairness to Minister McGrath, when he came out with the with the situation, and that was put up to us as well, that they were going to deduct the the different payments and assistance from from the claim and, and take that off and let the government pay for it. I mean, that's how cynical they got. But uh, thankfully, Minister McGrath has ruled that out. Uh, but we have a long, long battle. Uh, uh, in uh, with in front of us uh, for a number of number of months, and they will put us through loops, and they will see will we run out of money, will we run out of 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 getting this uh, advice, but we won't. And and certainly it is a problem. It's the same as the the the, the bar problem as such, and they they have made life very very difficult also for travel agents. Pat, what would you like the government to do for your industry to help them survive the pandemic? Well, I, th- I think to, to continue on, I mean, the, the wage supplements is certainly very welcome. And certainly we need that into next March. Um, the crisp payment, it's very unusual in the sense. And we've spoken, uh, Kieran, for months and months about the crisp payment uh, when, when we're eligible for that. And believe it or believe it not, uh, travel agents and tour operators are thrown out of that system when they go to level three. It's fine for other businesses, but when the government are saying you can't travel and you, you're not supposed to travel, it's illegal to travel. Yet that Chris system, we fall out of that. And this is something that we're pounding the desks at the moment to get to get that in, instated until government advises to, to travel. And certainly if we don't get that on, on until the end of the year or early next year, there'll be more than Joe Walsh Tours who will go to the wall. Yeah, I should say that the just to explain to listeners, the Chris payment is the uh, COVID uh, restriction support scheme that was introduced uh, by the government uh, a little while back to help businesses get through these um, the, these sort of level five restrictions. Um, can I just ask you, Pat, JWT, obviously a well-known member of your organisation and everybody's very sad to see it go, but have others closed their doors uh, since the pandemic began? Surprisingly not. No, we had, I think, a total uh, in the country since this started, uh, about seven closures. Two really hadn't much to do with COVID. Uh, the, the rest have. Now, I mean, you know, there is a, a, a you know, around uh, around the country in particular where where people have opened up 30 or 40 years ago. I was notified this morning that that uh, this couple in the Midlands, they're, they're retiring and they're closing their shop in, 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 in June and there's an orderly closure and, and there's nobody affected. Uh, but certainly no. But that's because, and, and, you know, people can be critical of the government, but the government help so far has kept those uh, doors open as such. And uh, as as we'll be telling uh, the department on on Friday, this will have to continue, not short term for the next few months, but but into 2022. And 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 we do hope that the 3,500 jobs that are in our industry and 206 are, are SMEs that the government will eventually listen to us and and help us through on until next year. 
What response have you had from government so far? Look, at everyone Everyone says, you know, um, oh, it's awful and you're the worst hit and everything else. But really, we haven't really got special assistance and, and special help. And as Connor says, we have to work through uh, with all those people that are booked and they have to be carefully minded and looked after because if you don't get in a claim to an airline or, or, or some other provider, you, you could lose that deadline as such. So uh, that's our job to do. And people are working behind the scenes and have done so for 13, 14 months on, on the government subsidies. And that's it because there, there is no cash. Whatever, whatever build-up of cash uh, travel agencies w- would have had o- o- over the last 15 or 20 years, uh, that's now gone. And, and certainly the, the Irish Travel Agents Association, we're now putting on digital marketing course, social media course. And I, I agree that, that uh, we're going to have upskill. Now, many agents uh, have a website. Um, now, booking engines is a different matter where people can book uh, directly. But that's going to happen, and those changes will come about and, and you will see um, uh, the bricks and mortar of, of travel agencies. Uh, they the, the mightn't be downstairs uh, in an office because of the rental, but they'll, they'll move upstairs. Connor, what's the outlook for prices for consumers whenever travel does resume again? Uh, well, I think most consumers would be willing to pay whatever it takes to get out of the country just for a couple of weeks. Uh, the reality is that it's going to be the traditional laws of economics and supply and demand uh, supply is likely to be restricted, demand is likely to be high. So I would imagine that in the first phase of a of a reopening, prices will be high. But do you know what? I think people are willing to pay them. Is that your experience, Pat? Will prices soar uh, once travel begins again? I think they will because, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think the capacities won't be just there and uh, uh, airlines will be t- t- touching and see how it's going and to get back into action. I, I, I think it will. And remember that, you know, um, the the UK market will have opened up uh, uh, quicker than us, and and also from a point of view of of Irish travellers, Belfast now have received uh, you know a great boost. Belfast Airport, where they have fifteen or twenty extra flights, the May would have gone out of Dublin. They're now got going out of Belfast, and uh, there'll be many many of Dublin people who will head up to to. The airport in Belfast, it's an hour and a half and, and, and they'll be starting uh, up in June or July. And uh, we've told the government that this is going to happen as such. Um, but it, it will be, the capacities will be down. And, um, you know, uh, and one thing I, I wanted to mention as well, that that uh, I, we had it uh, during the year and we, with so many people onto us, that people really have to be careful when they're booking, that, that they identify the, that the company, no matter what company it is, that is based in Ireland. A travel agents, uh, if you're based in Ireland, the Commission of Aviation handles your refund. But many UK companies, for example, will have a Dublin number and a .ie email or website. And I, thousands and thousands of people uh, were onto our association lo- looking for refunds and whatnot. They have to go over to the UK to get the refunds. So when people are looking, be it online or whatever else, you make sure that the company you're dealing with is based in Ireland. If it's not based in Ireland, if it's based in England, it's English law, the CAA control refunds. If it's based in in Belgium, China, the States, you go back to the country of origin. And, and, And that is a very, very important point to make to consumers. Yeah, good point, Pat. Uh, can I just ask you, uh, whenever we are allowed to travel again, where, where would you like your first destination to be? 
Um, I'm biased. I, I love a bottle of Rioja and Serrano ham, so it'll be uh, northern Spain, uh, San Sebastian, the northern coast I love. And Spain is my... Uh, I've always gone to Spain for many, many years and, 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 and Portugal. And then I have uh, grandchildren in the US in Florida that I haven't seen for a, a year and a half now. And they'll be the first... Uh, uh, that'll be the first travel just to see them because they've... They've nearly beards now since I saw him. Connor, where would you like to go? Well, funny if I have two holidays that I booked in October of 2019 that were rolled over from 2020. So I have a holiday booked for Portugal in July and a holiday booked for uh, the north of Spain in August. I've kind of ruled out the Portugal one. I don't think that's going to happen. But I'm still clinging grimly onto the hope that I might get to go to that campsite in the north of Spain come the 8th of August. And I'd crawl over glass at this stage to get there. Well, here's hoping. Conor Pope of the Irish Times and Pat Dawson of the Irish Travel Agents Association. Thank you for joining Inside Business. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Kieran. In the next part of the show, I'll be talking to Brendan Burgess of AskAboutMoney.com about mortgage interest rates as Ulster Bank and KBC prepare to quit the Irish market. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. In the past 10 weeks, it has emerged that Ulster Bank and Belgian lender KBC are planning to exit the Irish market. This will leave just three major retail banks here and has the potential to distort competition and lead to an increase in mortgage rates and bank charges. Joining me on the line to discuss the implications of this is Brendan Burgess, founder of AskAboutMoney.com. Brendan, thank you for joining us. You wrote an opinion piece for the Irish Times just a couple of weeks ago and you were suggesting that the exit of Ulster Bank and KBC was a really bad thing for consumers because it will allow the remaining three retail banks, AIB, Bank of Ireland and Permanent TSB, it'll give them the opportunity essentially to increase their mortgage rates and their fees. Tell us more. Yeah, well, the situation at the moment is that the two cheapest lenders are KBC and Ulster Bank. And they are both exiting the market. And the two most expensive lenders are Bank of Ireland and Permanent TSB. And they are uh, scheduled to buy the mortgages. So we have the two most expensive lenders buying the mortgage book from the two cheapest lenders. So that is going to be very bad news indeed for the existing customers of Ulster Bank and KBC. Now, the Minister for Finance and others will say... Well, your rights are fully protected. Under Irish law, your mortgage is a contract and therefore your rights are fully protected so the customers won't lose out. But that is only technically correct in the sense that the bank has, under the mortgage contract, the right to raise your mortgage rates. So, you know, your Bank of Ireland, if they buy over the mortgages from KBC, they can raise the rates. And uh, there's really nothing that the uh, borrowers could do about that except switch to another lender. Yeah, of course, most of these rates in the market now are fixed rates, aren't they? So they run for a period of one, two, three, five years, whatever it might be. And at the end of that period, then you've essentially got to renegotiate the rate with your bank. And what you're saying is that the potential is there for Bank of Ireland or Permanent TSB or AIB, whoever takes on these loans, to nudge up that rate. Absolutely. And um, I I think it would be more than nudge up that rate. They are about a half a percent more expensive. The strategy of Bank of Ireland is to keep their mortgage rates high. Now, of course, if the bank has very high mortgage rates, you say, well, how are they getting any new business at all? The way they get new business is 
through giving cash back to new customers. And we have a really dysfunctional mortgage market in this country that the banks make everything extremely confusing for people. They have uh, cash back and some banks, again, Bank of Ireland and Permanent T are the worst offenders. They do not pass on the rate cuts that they give to new customers to existing customers. So it's it's a real mess for these customers. What I'm saying to people, you know, if you're a customer of Ulster Bank at the moment, and if you've had a loan to value of less than 60%, you should be looking at switching to Avant. Avant has a rate of 1.95%, uh, and you can fix that for seven years. That's not a bad rate. And I think it's going to look even better in a couple of years when the competition is reduced in the mortgage market. So somebody with under 60% should switch. If you've under 80% loan to value, it's a little bit more difficult, but you should probably, while you're still a customer of KBC or Ulster Bank, you should fix your rate for a period of about five years. If you fix your rate and your mortgage is sold, the buyer can't up the rate. So now's the time to fix the rate. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make because we've heard concerns about a reduction in competition in the mortgage market as a result of Ulster and KBC departing. But Brian Hayes recently said that there are nine mortgage lenders in the market. So he was suggesting, this is Brian Hayes of the Banking and Payments Federation, he was suggesting there is still a lot of competition there. And you mentioned Avant, and Avant is a Spanish-owned lender which has come into the market recently enough. And there are other uh, lenders here as well, aren't there, like uh, niche lenders, like Dilusk, uh, which took over what what used to be the ICS uh, brand uh, a few years ago. And I think that's offering some good money from what I hear for for switchers as well. They're offering reasonable rates, but uh, Avant is much cheaper than they are. And so I I don't, you know, there's a there's an issue that people talk about as saying, oh, we have nine lenders in the market and we're losing two lenders. So that's uh, that's a serious matter. What matters is not the number of lenders, it's who those actual lenders are. Like permanent TSB, for example, as far as I'm concerned, if it closed down in the morning, it would make absolutely no difference. They're a very expensive lender. They don't, they don't allow the existing customers available to new customer rates. They really contribute nothing to the Irish market. I, I would ha- shed no tears to see them going. Whereas if you have, uh, if, if you ended up with only three lenders and those three lenders were AIB, Avant, and let's say KBC decided to stay, that would be, that's much better. To have three lenders competing with each other is much better than to have nine or 10 lenders who are not competing, who are just messing around with cashback and stuff like that. So it's not the number, it's the actual lenders who are there. Brendan, what's wrong with cashback? Because if you think about it, you can get the cashback up front and then you're still free to switch at some point down the road. Okay, from an individual point of view, in theory, there's nothing wrong with cashback. Okay, but from a market point of view, it completely distorts the market. If you're looking to take out a mortgage now today, Kieran, for example, and you look and you see one bank is charging 2%, another bank is charging 2.2%, well, you can make your choice and you'll go for the cheaper rate, 2%. But if Bank of Ireland wants to compete 
they're going to have to bring the rate down to 2 or 2.2%. So if they bring the rate down to 2 or 2.2%, then they're going to be, have to pass that on. They'll come under pressure to give that rate to the existing customers as well. So what the Bank of Ireland and Permanent TSB do is they keep their existing rates high for everybody and they attract new business by giving cash back. And that's what's wrong. It's it's actually unfair. I'm absolutely sure that the central bank, if they were minded to, could stop that in the morning. I just want to see the Irish banks competing for business on mortgage rates and mortgage rates alone. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, we know that uh, Irish mortgage rates are roughly speaking twice the EU average or Eurozone average. So in that context... And you seem to be suggesting that Bank of Ireland and others are charging over the odds for their mortgages to Irish consumers. You know, against that backdrop, why aren't more international lenders coming into this market? Okay, there are a few reasons. Um, uh, The first reason is when they look at the Irish market and they see that if somebody doesn't pay their mortgage, There's very little that the bank can do about it. We don't allow repossessions in this country. And that really is a huge problem. Like, I advocate on behalf of consumers, but I advocate on behalf of responsible consumers. So I'm the first to be saying that when people are not paying their mortgage, they should be repossessed and they should be repossessed fairly quickly. I, again, I'm very uh, uh, supportive of all the moves that the banks make to reschedule mortgages for people who are genuinely trying. But there are a lot of people out there who are making no effort to pay their mortgage and they should lose their homes. That would be one thing. The other thing is this weird rules we have for capital requirements uh, across the Eurozone. The capital requirements that the Irish banks or any bank trading in Ireland must put up, including Avant, they must put up capital for their mortgages, which is about twice or three times as high as in any other uh, market. And the reason for that is it's based on the lending practices of the Irish banks during the boom. So the, the capital requirements being set today are based on lenders who gave out loans at 100% loan-to-value and six times the salary, even though the lending today is far more conservative under the central bank guidelines. The capital requirements have not been adjusted for that. So it is more expensive for banks. We also have some ridiculous central bank regulation in Ireland, like the whole mortgage arrears resolution process and the code of conduct on mortgage arrears, it, it it misses the point. It imposes a huge regulatory burden, which is very expensive. It imposes that on the banks, and then the banks end up passing the cost of that on in terms of higher mortgage rates. But the main reason is the lack of competition. If there was more competition, then low rates would come down. I should say, Brendan, that I don't have the figures to hand, but 
there are, I mean, hundreds of properties, at least hundreds of properties every year are actually uh, taken into the possession of banks. In most cases, though, I guess it's by way of voluntary surrender. So somebody hands back the keys because they simply can't uh, afford to repay the mortgage. And they're responsible borrowers, as you mentioned, uh, trying to force a repossession of a home through the court and so on is a lengthy process. Uh, and I think that's probably what you were referring to earlier. Um, just a couple of more things, Brendan. One is, you know, what do we do to try and increase competition or how do we... What does the government or the regulator need to do to foster more competition and to ensure that other lenders don't leave the market? The first thing that they need to do is to ban cashbacks. And the second thing that they need to do, or they need to do this at the same time, is they need to prohibit discrimination between new and existing customers. So if a bank brings out a mortgage rate for new customers, existing customers must be able to avail of that. That alone would bring down mortgage rates in Ireland for new and existing customers. That's the main thing that they should be doing. The other thing that they should be doing is we should be having an adult conversation about repossessions. And the government and the central bank should be putting pressure on the uh, European authorities to change the ludicrous capital requirements for mortgage lending in Ireland. And Brendan, what's your advice to somebody who was looking at taking a mortgage with Ulster Bank and KBC? In fact, they might they might already be in the process. You know, the paperwork might be in the in the uh, in the pipe, as it were, or they're they're considering because KBC and Ulster Bank are still offering mortgages here, aren't they? So they're they're looking at those rates and saying, well, I think I'll, I'll opt for KBC or Ulster Bank. But now you have this uncertainty. What, what should they do? It's a bit of a problem. I don't think I would take out a, a, a mortgage with Ulster Bank or KBC now because you're going to end up in the hands of a very expensive lender. So what I would do is I would take out a mortgage with Avant if I meet their lending requirements, which I probably wouldn't if I'm a first-time buyer, or the best of the rest, and the rest is really only three banks, is AIB. So I think at this stage, I would recommend AIB for is the best chance of long-term mortgage value in the market for a new customer or for somebody who is looking to um, uh, trade trade up or take out a, a first-time buyer? Okay, yeah, of course it's a it's a it's a big uh, financial undertaking, isn't it, for any uh, couple or individual? So they should probably uh, seek some independent advice on that as well. So anyway, uh, we'll leave it there, Brendan. Um, let's see how the competition plays out in the marketplace over the coming months and years. Brendan Burgess of AskAboutMoney.com. Thank you for joining Inside Business. Thank you. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Pat Dawson, Connor Pope, and Brendan Burgess. Suzanne Brennan produced the show with JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care and stay safe. <laughs>